Welcome to the Rest, Eat, Move podcast by On Target Living. Welcome back, gang, to another episode of our Rest, Eat, Move podcast. I'm here at my headquarters today and I'm by myself. And today I'm going to kind of jump into my new book. I have a new book that's coming out, it's going to be released sometime at the end of November. And I'm really excited about it. And it's a resource guide. And I started writing this book with intention of it being about 100 pages, kind of a summary. And that didn't work. And so I really got into the weeds. And it turned out to be about 375 pages, has seven sections, and has lots of color, graphics, lots of stories. And I think you'll love it. But I wanted to kind of jump into section one of the book just to give you a little preview. But, you know, the section one is all about the mind. Your health begins in the mind. And I kind of wrestled with this for a little bit. So when I was writing the book, I wanted to jump right in and techniques and how to breathe and sleeping and eating and the list goes on. But I thought, you know, when I do my seminars, I really have to tee it up with my audiences to help them understand that I think everybody wants to feel their best and be their best. But sometimes self-care is frightening. It's hard to make changes. And so today I wanted to talk about, again, your health begins in the mind. So think about this for a minute. How many times do we feel like a bystander in our life? And I talked to so many people out there, and if they thought to themselves, you know, I don't really like where I'm at right now. And I always tell them, well, let's change it. But change is not easy to do. So when you think about the culture of health, um, you know, where do we get this from? And so changing behaviors is not easy, but I'm going to kind of walk you through a couple things today as we go. And again, it's, it's just a kind of a love affair I had in this topic. But when you talk about, you know, where we're at today, so I'm going to start out with this. Again, how many people want to feel their best? And it starts in the mind. But chapter two in the book is understanding that health is our greatest asset. And with the pandemic, I think we all agree that, you know, when our health is sideways, really nothing else matters. And we've all had people in our lives that the pandemic has touched and in many ways, not only including their health, but where is our health gone? And so my chapter two in my book is health is our greatest asset. But I start out at the very beginning is, With even greater advances in medicine, improved technology, more highly trained health professionals, more medications to choose from, wearables that track everything you can think of, but we're not moving in a great direction before the pandemic or today. Obesity has never been higher. Type 2 diabetes is exploding. Um, The list goes on. And when you think about healthcare in the United States, it's not a doom and gloom, but understanding we spend more on healthcare than any country in the world, averaging about 17, almost 18% of our GDP spent on healthcare. And if you looked at cost per capita, it's about $10,000 per person in the United States. And the closest country in the world to the United States is Switzerland at 8,000. And if you slide all the way down to Australia, they spend about about $2,500 per capita on healthcare. So we're not moving in a great direction. In 1960, one in 4,000 people had type 2 diabetes in the United States. And today that number is one in 10, trending to one in four. If you looked at um, every three Medicare dollars is spent on type 2 diabetes. So again, we're we're moving in the wrong direction. Over 50% of the United States population over the age 65 
is on five prescription medications. And I'm touching that really quickly. So again, this is a near and dear to my heart. And if you think about um, in the United States in 1970, less than 10% of the United States population was considered obese. Today, nearly three out of four adults are overweight or obese. So again, this trains off the tracks. It's not about doom and gloom, but I just kind of want to tee it up that each and every day, this is a major problem for people. Blood pressure, cholesterol imbalance, hormones, broken sleep, the list goes on. Mental health has never been more of a challenge today. But if you start talking about some of these things, but why are we not treating the source of the problem? We're going after the symptom. But we have to bring a new perspective to healthcare. And I write this at the very beginning. Imagine if everyone looked at healthcare from a new perspective. Imagine viewing healthcare as a security blanket if there is a need, but we barely use it. So again, it's there if we need it, but let's not use it, only when we have to. So I always say it's, it's time to take care, back control of our health, and our goal should be having more healthy people, not more healthcare options. And I think that's the challenge out there right now is you have all these options, but imagine if we just became healthier, a little bit more on prevention. We don't spend a lot of time on prevention. And I tell a story. I went in my annual physical about four years ago, and it was an interesting experience. After taking my vitals and measuring my height and weight, the nurse reviewed my results and informed me that my BMI, my body mass index, of 26 was classi- classified me as borderline obese. Because I have a little bit more muscle mass, I kind of I hope I do, but I, I've been working at that my entire life. But I like to lift weights and stuff, and I'm not a really slight guy. But my BML, BMI calculation considered me obese. Next, she said that my lower resting heart rate of 47 was bradycardic. Yeah, bradycardic means anything under 60, and I think that should be normal, not, not normal. And then my blood pressure of 106 over 70 was, was low, and she wanted to know if I had, was lightheaded or had, was, had symptoms. But the point that was, she was only looking at the numbers. She never asked me one thing. So here's a couple of things the nurse could have asked. Do you have a lot of stress in your life? Are you a chest or diaphragmatic breather? How much sleep do you get on a, and is it restful? What type, of, what, what type of downtime activities do you practice? How much exercise do you get on a regular basis? What type of movement activities do you enjoy? I mean, the list went on and on. I kept thinking, why doesn't she ask me any of these questions? And then as I keep going, tell me about your nutritional habits. How much water do you drink each day? Do you fast on a regular basis? How is your energy? Is your low resting heart rate and blood pressure typical for you? So again, the point of this is we're not going, we're not treating the person many times. We're just looking at the numbers. And I think that's the challenge. So the future healthcare, and again, we're pretty much done with this section, but again, we got to think about how do we change our healthcare system for the health of our people, and this is what must be done. Price transparency has to change. We need to be more aware of what things cost. Again, we, we don't know this. We have to have increased competition. We have incredible new technology, but the bottom line all this, we got to get back to the art of healthcare. And that is getting our people to be more healthy. In chapter three, I talk about creating a new future. 
And when you think about new future, when we talk about medical illiteracy, it's never been higher. And I've just kind of touched on that real briefly. If I ask you how much is a colonoscopy, most people have no idea. And if, or a bypass surgery or hip replacement, doesn't matter. We pretty much don't know this. If I ask you about cholesterol, you probably know a little bit about cholesterol, but how many of you know about homocysteine or highly sensitive CRP? Or did you know that testosterone, total testosterone is one, one of the great predictors of how you're aging? We just don't know this stuff. We're not taught this stuff. And again, that's one of the things we're trying to do at Ontario Living is we're trying to educate and inspire people to take more control over their health. So again, when you start asking better questions, start revealing the answer. But when you think about the future and where we're going with this stuff, better health is a decision. It really is a decision. And I always ask people this. They come in and they do training with us or with speaking or whatever. I just spoke to a really interesting crowd up at the Soaring Eagle Hotel this past week in Michigan. It was a fantastic crowd of firefighters and fire inspectors and I was asking some of the folks later, are you sitting on the fence, still wobbling about your health? And a bunch of them came up and said, you know what, I'm all in. Enough's of enough. I need to get, take more control of my health. That's the question. Are we still wobbling? Are we still debating? Are we going back and forth? Or are we all in? And again, it's not about being perfect. It's about taking some of these steps. And there's, it's never too late. I've been doing this 35 years. It's never too late. Start changing some of your lifestyle habits. And it's all about incremental changes that we'll talk about as we go here today. But again, we need to start thinking about making that decision. It is a decision. Do I want to feel better? Be better? Have better health? It's a decision we all can make. So when we look at this, I always ask the question of this. Are you living your best life? That's an interesting question sometimes. I challenge myself sometimes on that. So again, are you living your best life? Are you doing the things that you want to do? And sometimes people say, you know what? I just kind of slowly get away from some of the stuff I want to do because I can't do it anymore. We all are going to be aging and doing that. But here's another question for you. Are you ready to change? I love doing live events. The live events are starting to open up. I think we've done seven of them between my son, Matt, and myself. But the first question I always ask is this. I ask the audience this. I love it. Are you ready? And I ask... Raise your hands. Are you ready to make a change? Audience just overwhelmingly just jumps up, hands go up, energy's just going through the roof. The second question, are you able? Are you able to make some of these changes? Do you have the necessary skills to make these changes? And most people do. But here comes the big one. Now comes the moment of truth. Are you willing? Are you willing to get a little uncomfortable? Are you willing to put in the necessary effort to create sustainable change? Are you willing to take that first step? And unfortunately, many times, the audience is not as excited about the willingness. Are you willing? And that's the question you always want to ask yourself. Are you ready for a change? You might not be ready right now. Number two, are you able? Do you have the necessary skills? Most people do if you take it one step at a time. And last but not least, here comes a decision. This is a decision <laughs> Are you willing to get a little uncomfortable? Not about getting crazy uncomfortable, but just a little bit of being uncomfortable. Hey guys, it's Matt Johnson, and you may want to work out with the On Target Living crew, but it might be weird to invite Chris Johnson into your living room. So we got a better option. Download our app. You can work out with Chris. You can work out with myself, my sister, Coach Tab. Our app's an amazing tool. 
check it out on any app store, Ontario Living. Back to your podcast. All right, so as I move into chapter four, we're only going to go through a few more chapters. These are relatively short at the very beginning. But what is the secret of change? That's chapter four. And I, and I tell a story about Grabwell Grama, and it's a funny story. And without going into the details, but Grabwell thinks somebody's trying to kill him. And each and every day, his lifestyle is a mess. He's running too fast, eating crummy, not getting enough rest. The list goes on and on and on. But at the end of his life, he, he thinks he's outsmarted the person trying to kill him. And he dies at age 53, and he thinks he dies, or his wife thinks he dies of natural causes. But it always hit me about this story that Grabwell Gromit thought he eluded the killer. In reality, the killer was him. And so sometimes we kind of are not even aware that some of the things we're doing in our lives are the things that are we should be really afraid of versus the boogeyman out there. But the five steps of behavior change, again, behavior is hard to do. But I always come back to this. And the first step is when you think about behavior change is self-awareness. Are you even aware? We all have blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. But are you aware of some of the things? Are you aware of your blood pressure? Are you aware of your resting heart rate? How many breaths do you take per minute? Are you aware of your energy? Is it really where you want to be? Sometimes when we go through the, the eat 21 Day Eat Challenge, people realize they go, gosh, I, could, I really have a lot more energy. Or are you aware that you could get a better night's sleep? So again, step number one is self-awareness. You know, what blind spots do you have? Number two is, what do you want? I always ask my audience is this, would you like to have better energy? Would you have liked better health? Be medicated free? Get off one of your medications? The list goes on and on. But what do you truly want? Lose a couple pounds. Maybe it's 20 pounds, whatever it might be. But get really specific. And that's number two is, what do you want? And then we get into the power of emotion. And that's your why. Number three is the power of the why. It could be a short-term why. And I always tell my audiences this. Anytime the why gets outside of you, amazing, amazing transformation can happen. And every time I've ever talked to somebody that's had incredible transformation, it's always because the why was outside of them. And many times I look at myself. You know, one of my powerful whys is my grandkids. You know, I had amazing grandparents growing up on both sides but I remember spending the time at Douglas Lake, Michigan in the summers with my grandparents. It was a magical time in my life. And I kind of think about that. Today, I have a place up on Douglas Lake. And I want to have that same experience for my grandkids at some point in time. That's a powerful why for me. I want to be healthy and vibrant as I get older. And all the other stuff that goes with that. You know, I love to play. So again, I want to play with my grandkids. But remember your why. What is your why? It could be short term, could be long term. And number four is what we're all about here at Ontario Living. How do you build a new habit? And really it begins with one new behavior. If you want to get a better night's sleep, maybe your new behavior is you're going to value your sleep and you're going to start planning it. That could be a new behavior and hopefully that leads into a new habit so you build circadian rhythms and this goes on. The other new habit would be this. Maybe you feel anxious a lot. And one of the greatest things you can do for anxiety is to change how you breathe. So one new behavior would be breathing through the nose, again, using your diaphragm, and then slowing it down. And that one new behavior, you could do that one to two minutes a couple times a day. And over time, just like flossing, 
This could turn into a habit. So again, we're really big into how do you build these habits? You do it one step at a time. Prefrontal cortex can only handle one thing at a time. Yeah, we do multitasking, but we don't do it very well. Women do it better than men. But again, we got to get into the And think about where a habit is built. It's built in the conscious mind. Imagine if we had to think about every little thing we do every morning, we would be exhausted by 10 a.m. And so that's the conscious mind. You have to think about what one new habit, you do that with a new behavior, and over time that new behavior, new habit becomes more autopilot. It goes into the subconscious mind. And that's where your habits live is in the subconscious mind. So as soon as you can get them in there, but sometimes habits take a little time. Sometimes they take a little less time. And then the unconscious mind is really the the galaxy of what's possible. And that's when we get stillness. Imagine sitting in the shower or going for a walk in the woods or whatever. And all of a sudden, some incredible enlightenment comes into your brain. We all have that. But that's when the mind is still. So I like talking about how do you build habits because it begins with a conscious mind and then goes into the subconscious mind. But the understanding how do we tap into the, the unconscious mind because that is the galaxy and that's where stillness takes place. And you don't get these great crazy ideas. Sometimes when I'm trying to when I was writing this new book, I had to have a really nice environment. So again, my brain could allow itself to tap into some of the things I want to talk about. And the last but not least is feedback. You know, I remember years ago, again, we have to have courage to measure. So years ago, I remember watch. I used to like to watch The Biggest Loser on TV. It was always emotional. And again, when you look at Jillian or Bob, and they, I thought they did a great job, but I was kind of afraid of Jillian at the time. But I started thinking about that, and I was watching one Sunday. They had this show about behavior change. And they had one of the contestants that won The Biggest Loser. And it was really an emotional interview with him. And I write this in the book, but I'm not going to go into the super detail. But one of the things about it was this. He went from 416 pounds to basically 198. He lost over 200 pounds. He became the the champ. He won $250,000. Instant overnight celebrity. And they're interviewing a year and a half later, 18 months later. And they asked him, have you gained much weight back? He said, you know, I'm not sure. I, I know I've gained weight back, but I haven't been on a scale. And then they kept going through the interview more and more, and they realized very quickly that he said he started getting away from his, you know, his plan he had on the ranch. And he realized he couldn't sustain it. He couldn't sustain the three to four hours of exercise every day. He couldn't sustain the 1,500 calories he was eating. He didn't know how to pivot. And that's what we're really all about at Ontario Living is we want to teach people how to do it, not being told how to you know, do it. So at the very end, they had him get on the scale. And he stepped on the scale, and the anxiety was super high. And you could tell he's very emotional. He gets on the scale, and he weighs 416 pounds. He gained all of his weight back. And the tears started coming down his cheeks, and it was really emotional. But in his mind, his belief was he had to follow this plan or he couldn't do that. We have to have ways to monitor where we're at. Again, are you paying attention to your sleep? How much are you breathing? Are you breathing through the mouth or the nose? Are you getting on the scale once in a while or you have a pair of pants? We have to have some way to monitor, but we also have to have the courage to monitor. And that's why how people, I've gained 10 pounds, I've gained 20 pounds, the next thing you know, I've gained 30 pounds or 
I've, now my glucose is out of whack, and now I have type 2 diabetes. We have to have the courage to measure. So quick review. we got to have this self-awareness. we got to make sure we're uncovering some of our blind spots. We all have them. What do you want? Get laser beam specific and get really, really dialed in about what you truly want. And then the power of the why. What's your emotional driver? What's the jet fuel? And remember, anytime the why gets outside of you, amazing transformation starts to occur. So again, write down, what is your why? Could be small, could be large. And then we have to build a habit one step at a time, and we do that by changing one new behavior. If your goal is to drink more water, your new behavior is put the water in front of you consistently. So again, I'm always challenging myself. It is a habit, but I have to be aware of it still. It's, not, it's somewhere between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And last but not least, we have to have the courage to measure. Which leads us into this, chapter 5. This is called the beginner's mind. And I have an incredible colleague that I worked with. And again, you've probably seen him before or heard about him. He's on our podcast. He's been on a lot of our stuff. But I trained with this guy. His name was Dr. Phil Nuremberger. And Dr. Phil, we called him Dr. Phil. We call him the real Dr. Phil. I like Dr. Phil on TV, too. But Dr. Phil Nuremberger is in his late 70s now. And we worked together for 15 years doing some training in the financial services arena. And he was always talking about beginner's mind. And how do you become more curious? That is a skill. So if I'm asking you a question, again, are you being more curious about that? Why is the sky blue? Why is my cholesterol out of balance? we got to keep digging, 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 and be more curious. And one night we're having dinner together, and we were talking about the beginner's mind. And he said, imagine this, Chris. You're talking to a third grade class, and you ask him a question. How many of their hands would go up? And I said, well, Dr. Phil, every hand would go up. He said, isn't that interesting? Because if you did that same question with an with adult audience, what percentage of the hands would go up? And I said, maybe 15, 20%. He goes, why is that? I go, well, God, that's interesting you say that. So here's the big takeaway for this. When you start asking better questions, you start uncovering the answer. If you have a headache, we always talk about this, do you have an ibuprofen deficiency? Of course you don't. You might be dehydrated, you might be lacking omega-3 fats, or you might be lacking the mineral magnesium. Magnesium is a mineral relaxation. It helps with your headaches, helps with blood pressure, helps with AFib, helps you stay asleep. So again, if we're not diving into the question, it's not fair to your health professionals to try to help you. So again, it's not fair to walk into the doctor's office with broken sleep, high blood pressure, hormonal imbalances, and think they're going to fix you in a 15-minute visit. It's not going to happen. So the goal is, as you get more into the beginner's mind and start asking better questions, you start revealing the answer. So not too long ago, I get a phone call, and it's this woman from Florida, and her husband has had hiccups, and he's had hiccups for two and a half years. I can't make this up. And she had saw me speak, and one thing led to another, and finally decided to reach out to me. And so then I decided to get her and her husband on the phone, and here comes my questions. So I ask, seriously, your husband's had hiccups for two and a half years? Yes. What medications is he taking? Well, he's taking an acid blocker, muscle relaxer, sleep medication, and now he's on a schizophrenic medication because he can't sleep anymore. I mean, this guy's heavily medicated. 
And then I ask a little more about and what's been his path. He's seen many, many doctors around the country and nobody seems to help him. So here's my first question. Tell me about your stress levels. He said, well, I'm a pretty stressful guy. Okay, I get that. I said, tell me about your diaphragmatic breathing and your vagus nerve. He had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, well, anytime you use your diaphragm and you breathe through the nose and slowing it down, you stimulate this thing called the vagus nerve. And one of the things that helps the diaphragm and helps the body relax, the mind and the body, is breathing through the diaphragm. Nobody's ever talked about that. Nobody addressed his stress. And then the third component I asked him, I said, tell me how you eat. And he said, well, I'm on a high-protein diet. It helps me keep my weight down. Okay, how much water do you drink? Really not much water. I drink coffee. How much coffee do you drink? Well, I drink about two pots of coffee a day. I said, you drink alcohol? He said, yeah, I drink two glasses of wine at night. So basically, you're not drinking any water. Two pots of coffee and two glasses of wine. Is that correct? He said, yes. I said, what about your gut health? Have they talked about the garden of health in your gut? I've never heard that before. Well, most of your all your immune system and many things live in the gut, and so the gut is like a garden. Again, we'll talk more about this as we go. And I asked him, I said, what type of carbohydrates do you eat? Fruits, vegetables, ancient grains, potatoes, starchy carbs. He said, I don't. I said, what do you mean? He said, I haven't had a fruit in six years. I haven't eaten oatmeal in probably 10 years. I don't eat potatoes. The list went on. So I said, what do you eat? He said, I eat meat and I eat protein bars as snacks throughout the day. And occasionally I'll eat a salad. Nobody ever asked him these questions. And within, I'm not kidding you, within about six months, his hiccups disappeared. And again, it was challenging at the very beginning to change his lifestyle, but he was desperate. We started working on his breathing. We started incorporating more water. We cut back on his caffeine. The list went on. We started incorporating fruits into his diet, make his body more alkaline. And the list went on. And now the guy is now sleeping again. So the point of this, if you're not asking better questions, you're never going to reveal the answer. And that's a powerful skill is being curious. Not everybody's curious. Not everybody has that beginner's mind, which leads us into the last chapter for today. And one of my favorite is called Box of Beliefs. Now you have beliefs, I have beliefs, everybody has beliefs. And the longer I've been doing this, what holds most people back is not necessarily lack of knowledge, it's limiting beliefs. And imagine this, imagine you have a box and you put your beliefs in there. And you nail it shut, but you never want to air them out. We all have done this before. But today, I want you to think about what is in your box of beliefs. And maybe you want to let it air out a little bit. So recently, I was doing a, an event. And we started talking a little bit about these box of beliefs. In, in my space is that many people believe that the best way to lose weight is more cardio. That's not true. Again, you never can out-exercise a bad diet, but people try to, especially during the pandemic. I'm just going to move more, or some people are not moving at all. But again, that's the whole box of beliefs. Number two is, as you just heard, many people believe carbohydrates make you fat. And then that's not true. So when you look at the number one weight loss program in the United States today, the keto diet, which is a high-fat, no-carb diet, understanding you cannot have a good garden of health if you don't have these pre-pro and symbiotic foods, such as apples, 
and bananas and ancient grains and potatoes in the gut, cacao nibs. So again, you got to tackle these beliefs because if the audience or you is not putting a a fruit in your diet, your body's going to be very acidic. So again, you might lose weight short term, but it's a way to alkalize the body, lower inflammation. So we talk about COVID. But if people have these beliefs, they're not going to get anywhere. And the belief I always like to tackle sometimes is cod liver oil. So I always bring cod liver oil. I have it right here with me. This is our cod liver oil. We get it from Dutch Harbor, Alaska. We spent about three years vetting this product. It has high levels of vitamin D3. It's organic lemon. as pre-resolving mediators for your immune system. It's fantastic. Again, high in DHA for the brain health, anti-inflammatory hormones, the list goes on. But I will bring it to my groups. In fact, I just brought it this week up to the Soaring Eagle. And we had about 400 people in the audience. And we chill it in the back and we get it up there. But I can never lead with here it is. I have to first help people understand the benefits and how to do it. And then here's the incredible results. But they have that belief at the very beginning. I always ask the audience, how many of you believe cod liver oil tastes bad? Raise your hands. Hands always go shooting up. But here comes the second question. How many of you believe it tastes bad and you've never had it before? And people start to laugh and they get it. But they have that limiting belief. And think about this. 95% of the American population does not consume omega-3 fats. And if we're deficient in omega-3 fats, that's what helps with inflammation. That helps with your heart. Helps with so many things, especially your brain. So again, if we're deficient in omega-3 fats... It's not CBD for inflammation. It's these omega-3 fats that we're missing. They're not in the food chain much anymore. So flax, chia, cod liver oil, walnuts, these foods are higher in vitamin or vitamin uh, or uh, omega-3 fat. But also the cod liver oil is high. And that's why we promote cod liver oil over fish oil because it's high in vitamin D3. So then I let them try it and they all say the same thing. It doesn't taste like anything. Just like a little lemon drop. Again, if you're putting that box of belief and you're nailing it shut, you're not going to maybe, and again, we all need to air it out occasionally. Just be a little more curious that maybe, just maybe, I want to let that air out. And here's a couple for you that I put in my book. Roger Bannister, I was fascinated by this. He was the first guy, he's 25 years old, medical student. He was the first person on the planet to crack the four-minute mile. And everybody was trying to crack it. 401, 402, it was all around, but nobody cracked the four-minute mile. But in 1956, 56, yeah, 56, he cracked the four-minute mile. And then it was broken 37 times in the next two years. People changed their belief that it was possible. I remember Sean White, the snowboarder, built a half pipe in northern Colorado before one of the Olympics. Why was that? Because he didn't want to see his uh, competitors see what he was doing to think that it's possible. So again, we have to open up what is possible. And then if you think about landing on the moon, I remember that as a kid, you know, back in the day that um, John F. Kennedy put that out there that we have an ambitious, uh, audacious goal of landing on the moon. And that came true. But again, if you don't have these things that basically are holding you back, these are things that are really, I think, holding lots of people back. So again, as I wrap this up, start out really simple, and I'll quickly review. So we'll go back to the very beginning. Again, step number one, your health begins 
in your mind. Are you ready? Are you able? And most importantly, are you willing to get a little uncomfortable? And when people feel their best, there's nobody out there that I've ever come in contact with that doesn't want to feel better. I think everybody wants to feel better, but they think that journey is too hard. When you start talking about you know, building habits, we're not try, trying to climb Mount Everest. We're just trying to climb a baby hill first. And that, that's a big challenge out there for a lot of people. Where's our health gone? We don't need to get sideways on this, but we have to be more informed. We have to have more knowledge in this space. We need to do our homework. We have this thing called Know Your Numbers. It's a one-page handout you give to your doctor for your blood work. But we need to be more in tune because nobody's going to take better care of your health than you. So again, again, where's our health gone? It's all up to us. And again, use your health professional. But if you're not curious, you don't have a good dialogue, it's not for your health care professional to help fix you. And then we get into this thing called the secret of change, the five steps of behavior change, self-awareness, what do you want? Number three, the power of your why, that's the jet fuel for change, and then building one habit at a time. I can't say that enough today. And last but not least, you have to have the courage to measure. We need feedback, which leads us into the beginner's mind. I want us to be curious, ask better questions, and imagine next time you're talking to a young person, really look in their eyes and see how curious they are. I love talking to my grandkids sometimes about some of this stuff. It's incredible where their brains go. But there's nothing, there's no limitations there, everything's possible. And the last chapter is the box of beliefs. Is there something in your box that you need to air out? Because remember, it's not what we don't know many times, it's that what we put these limiting beliefs on our lives. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And remember, you have the power to feel your best.